Welcome to Spark, Careers in Agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, President at Paulson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Spark. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce to you Amy Transillo, and we're going to be talking to her about her career. Currently, she's at the Context Network, and Amy is a digital nomad working mostly in the New York City area. So Amy has a deep background in animal health, which includes time at Pfizer, which is now Zoetis, and then also at GalvMed, and she'll be telling us about that. Amy's a strategic thinker in the field of animal health, much of it on a global stage. So Amy, let's start out by talking about your current role, and then maybe share with us what an ideal workday is like for you. After 18 years of my career at Zoetis, which was formerly Pfizer Animal Health, as you mentioned, um, I held a variety of commercial roles there, um, mostly within the new product development um, team, regional marketing for Latin America, as well as global market and analytics. And since leaving that, um, I've since set out on my own and um, developed my own independent consulting company. And I now um, work with a variety of different organizations across not only animal health, but also trying to get into agricultural technology and um, the agricultural development space, mostly working with new startups and smaller animal health companies that are trying to figure out, okay, we have this technology, how can we uh, market it? Speaking to the agricultural development side, um, one of the last big projects that I worked on was a consultancy for GalvMed. Now, they're an international nonprofit based out of Scotland, uh, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the UK government, and their mission is to help improve access to livestock vaccines um, among smallhold farmers in the developing world. For them, I led a very interesting uh, project uh, where I implemented a $30 million challenge competition. A bunch of donors were giving away uh, $30 million to incentivize the animal health companies, the big ones, to come up with a new uh, vaccine in um, for brucellosis in the developing world. And the reason why they've chosen that, which is very, very interesting and something that I didn't get a lot of exposure to when I was at uh, Zoetis, is around the zoonotic impact of uh, brucellosis, this disease, which also has a significant impact on the productivity of livestock. With that project, it actually took me to my current role, which is I've recently joined the Context Network, so still continuing my own independent consultancies, but also joined up with the Context Network, which they're a larger firm working across not only agriculture, biotechnology, and also food companies. They are a, a team of top senior consultants, experts, analysts, and they work on a variety of different projects. So I really joined them um, to to broaden my scope of consulting projects that I've been working on and um, to get access to to a team of experts in the area. So it's been really fruitful. It's a very long answer to your short question, but I'm having a lot of fun with this um, new direction for my career uh, since leaving the corporate world. What it's allowed me to do is sort of leverage all of my strengths and go after projects that I'm passionate about and continue to build upon that. That's an amazing run that you've had in your career. Um, and I think just for our Spark audience, since they're kind of at the beginning of where they started, can you maybe help us understand what your early life was like so they could draw some parallels to their own lives? It's pretty interesting. So just growing up just 40 miles outside of New York City, 
I never would have imagined, and neither would my friends or family, that I would ever end up working um, amongst livestock farmers, not only in the middle of the country, but around the world. But as far back as I can remember, my mom was a huge influence on my life. Uh, She was a nurse. I always admired her for working so hard taking care of people. And I used to borrow her stethoscope and blood pressure kit and try to imitate her. Um, My older brothers weren't very willing patients, so I had to do all my um, work on our family dog. (laughs) I'm wondering how your dog fared through all that. (laughs) Yes. No, he was fine. Um, (laughs) It was only practice. But in all seriousness, that that really just sparked my passion um, for, for getting into the animal health field. And um, that led me to going to the University of Delaware, uh, where I studied pre-veterinary medicine. It was in college where I spent my nights, as many of um, maybe your listeners who are animal science majors know, uh, poring over organic chem and anatomy homework, which was quite challenging for me. But I also spent the mornings before class uh, working at a local vet clinic. It was there I had a very important position. I was um, head dog washer and cage cleaner in charge. <laughs> All right. Started at the bottom, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was very interesting. Quite a grueling um position and had to wake up at five in the morning and go down to the dog grooming uh, kennel and and help out. It was there that I sort of started to understand more fully that the vet clinic or the veterinary business has a bunch of facets. It's not all cute dogs and and kittens, but there are realities of the vet business that um, are very real. There's good things and there's bad things, as you can imagine, and lots of emotions associated with that. So I would interact with my colleagues and watch the senior veterinarians sort of go through this daily. And it was, in all honesty, it's very difficult for me to deal with because I had such compassion for these animals. I think it's tough for many people that are in that um, industry. But I was myself starting to doubt, you know, my decision of whether or not I could really handle going into that uh, veterinary field, especially on the small animal side. But in parallel, I was actually through my studies, working through my animal science degree, we at University of Delaware, we were mostly focused on the food animal production courses. And I started taking some courses on the economics of the food and ag industry. It was really those classes that begun my fascination with, you know, this whole connection around the farm, the land, and then the animals and the food that ended up on the plate. This is something, you know, growing up in the suburbs of New York, it never really occurred to me. We didn't have exposure to lots of farm animals or, you know, maybe we visited a few farms uh, growing up. But just this whole fact around the dynamics of the industry and how things like the price of corn one year would have an impact on, you know, my hamburger or steak. This sort of discovery, and I, you know, pretty early on in my life in college, really sparked a a change. I went from saying I definitely want to be a veterinarian to I'm not sure if I can be, but I'm super fascinated by this other side of the business. It was there that I actually decided to um, minor in agricultural business and economics to dig deeper into this whole thing around the dynamics of um, corn prices and 
uh, meat production and food companies' influence and, and all of these things in terms of how those dynamics end up with how much your hamburger costs at McDonald's. And I think that um, having that sort of passion, but also having the animal science um, and the pre-vet background definitely laid the good foundation for myself to work at Zoetis, to be able to talk to veterinarians because I, I knew that veterinary language and then also have an understanding around the business dynamics of the of the industry. Did you end up taking any extra school because of the change you made or were you able to, to roll all your credits up okay and graduate? Yeah, no, everything um, actually worked out pretty well. Um, once I gave up the dream of going on to vet school, um, I was able to shift my um, class schedule to allow for that um, additional um, minor. Everything actually worked out really well. How did you transition then to your first role? Because that's, well, that's where a lot of our audience is going to be at, kind of the phase they're at is like, ooh, how do I how do I jump from from education into my career? I didn't get my job at Pfizer. Um, the traditional way. And this is, I think, very important in this day and age. It's really around networking. How did I jump into Pfizer? I knew that I wanted to get into animal health. And again, something in my head was like, I want to go work with pet companies. So I went out and scanned all the available companies and um, went to Purina and Procter and & Gamble and all of these types of companies. For some reason, I was still, even after all this education and, and coming to terms with my fascination around food production, I still thought I wanted to work um, with cats and dogs. As luck would have it, my college roommate, her mom, was riding the train with someone who worked at Pfizer. She knew that I was interested in uh, working for either a health company or a pet company, basically had a conversation and said, I, I know somebody that's interested. And that's where it all it all started from there. So yeah. it's all about networking. No kidding. It's all about telling people what you want. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, really, really being clear in terms of the types of roles that you're looking for and talking to as many people as you can. So even when you're still in school, you know, and I don't know if you were thinking about that then, you know, the importance of getting the word out and, and networking. I think some of us think of that only in the context of having a career in being networking, but you really need to begin that when you're still in school. Absolutely. I mean, this is a lesson that I continue to learn um, even 20 years after I've started. It's just something that I completely, completely am super passionate about. It's not only building your network, but continuously reaching out to your network. It's not just let's build a network and go and, okay, I'll make 10 phone calls to everybody I know, but it's nurturing that network and checking back in with them and giving people updates and getting their updates because, you know, people are meeting people, especially now in this day and age through uh, social media and different ways that people connect now that they didn't connect 20 years ago when I was starting out. You never know who people know. So it's always good to start to think about it in a strategic way. So let's back up a little bit to what you were talking about earlier. Were there any surprises that you found you had along the way as you were transitioning from your from school or, or any surprises along the way that you had? I mean, for me, I have to admit the biggest surprise still today, even 20 years of doing this um, work and working with farmers and livestock uh, veterinarians, I completely am still surprised that I was able to do this and still live in New York City. 
and be so close to my network of family and friends. And it it's just still surprises me that I'd be able to have such rich experiences working with customers around the world and then, you know, come back to this big concrete jungle and um, have the other side of my life. I'd have to say that that still is the biggest surprise. You know, that's really interesting that that would be a surprise because I think a lot of times when you when you live in rural areas like a lot of us do, you kind of feel like, well, that's probably going to hamper me in my career. So it's it's just kind of funny or ironic that that you would feel that way and be in um, one of the biggest economies in our country. <laughs> it's really, really interesting. And I have to say that there are times where, and throughout my career, that it was actually a challenge for me to say, um, hi, I'm Amy Tranzillo, and I am from New York City, and I'm working in livestock. Sometimes customers would be like sort of surprised about that and kind of standoffish because how would how would a girl, a big city girl know anything about farming life? So that that's, you know, been sort of a, a challenge that I continue to face. Obviously as you get more experience, that sort of goes away. But I'd say early on in my career, talking to customers, trying to make a connection, there's sometimes like, well, how would she know what a cow is? Sure. <laughs> What did you do to overcome that? Because I, I can see early on in, in anybody's career, I think oftentimes we feel like that. We're like, we're, oh, we're not going to be able to live up to this or people are going to doubt us or won't respect us. I think like for me, it was it was just about making sure that I you know learned as much as I possibly could about the industry. And um, again, I feel very fortunate that I was able to, for all intensive purposes, grow up in, in Pfizer at now Zoetis, and have the chance to actually get out into the field and talk to customers. And I would oftentimes just ask my manager and say, I want to go on a field ride. I want to go to Colorado and go visit the feedlots with our sales reps because I want to be able to experience the actual operation so that when I when I am talking about it or I am doing a market research study or trying to make recommendations on a strategy that I'm actually talking from a place of experience, real hands-on experience and not sitting in the ivory tower um, in New York. That's a lot of the things that I did. If, you know, if you don't have it, you, you either learn as much as you can. And if the opportunity presents itself, you know, take every chance to go out and actually get into the field. Yeah, there's hardly ever a substitute for your own experience. That's that is for sure. Looking back, um, can you maybe describe any sort of a pivotal event or a decision that you made or something that just kind of changed the course of your life? Course of your life is a very a loaded question, but I can talk about something that changed the course of my uh, career. It was pretty early on when I started at uh, Pfizer Animal Health, and um, I was a marketing associate. So that's a a junior marketing person who is working to support the the senior marketing team, doing all of the grunt work and learning the business, meeting planning, working with the advertising agency, doing the invoicing and budgeting. Great way to learn the business and also um, get some marketing experience under my belt. But there was a time where I was in that junior role for, I don't know, maybe two or three years. And I thought, okay, I need to think about, you know, where my career is going. And um, I had the conversation with my manager at the time about, you know, what are some options available and what do I need to do in order to develop myself? So it's very important to have that conversation. That's something that I learned early on in life. That conversation actually proved to be very fruitful because 
as um, one day I'm just sitting in my office and kind of going through the everyday work, I had a knock at the door and it was uh, the director of uh, global market research. We we had had a relationship before we were friends and um, were colleagues. And he said, so I hear you're going to be my new global market research manager. And I thought, okay, I'm super confused and I think you're kidding. <laughs> but it turns out that because I had expressed the fact that I wanted to, you know, explore some other options and look for the next step in my career, the management team was having a talent discussion and a new role had opened up and the, my manager actually suggested me for that role before it was even posted. So this was a big wow. event. It, it gave me the push I needed, to be honest. I mean, we all get comfortable. I was having fun in my in my role. It was fun to go to meetings and go to trade shows and all of that. But I just never sort of thought until that moment. It just gave me the push to sort of say, okay, I can do something different, take on this new challenge. Of course, super nervous, like a whole bunch of doubt in you know, whether or not I was going to be able to do this and you know, why'd they pick me and all of these things that go on in our head when um, we're faced with a challenge. But I have to say from there, it really opened my eyes up to working on the global teams, traveling, because we were doing market research all over the world. And I started interacting with colleagues in the various countries. So that really, really ignited my passion for um, the, the career path that I chose to take from there. I have to say, it all started with a knock on the door. That sounds really corny, but it's actually what happened. Do you feel like it was because you had expressed an interest to, you know, maybe take on a new challenge? Or do you think that your manager saw something in you maybe that you weren't seeing in yourself? So I think it's a little bit of both. I think the fact that I communicated that I was ready and I was um, thinking about, you know, my career path and where I wanted to take my career, there was that. Sure. I think that there were some projects that I had worked on and, and, and shown some um, success um, that they probably noticed that I could I was able to take on a little bit more. Who do you think maybe has been the most important in your development? Was it, was it kind of during that period of time when you got those opportunities or when do you think that was? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd have to say I've been very fortunate to have some really good managers during my career. So I don't necessarily think that I can pinpoint in terms of my career, you know, a certain manager or a certain person that has helped me the most. But I think that what I have been able to be really fortunate around is having those mentors, um, whether or not they're my managers or peers or, you know, managers of other departments where I've been able to make connections and also build relationships so that I could always go to them for advice and discussions. It's hard to pinpoint one person. Kind of sounds like you you had, and maybe this was just the culture at Pfizer or Zoetta, just a, a really supportive culture to work in. There was that. It's very supportive. I happened to have a job that was global. So with that, you know, you, you have the opportunity to meet as many people as possible. But I also think that you don't have to wait to get a job like that. So if you are part of a bigger organization, there are no, typically, I don't know every corporation, but I can just imagine that most of them have either groups or various projects that you can get into 
um, and network and try to meet people outside of your immediate sphere of uh, colleagues. Very, very good advice. You had mentioned mentors just a few sentences ago, and I'm kind of curious, have you ever been a mentor yourself? And maybe what you learned from that. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I've had a number of different um, mentors and also mentee relationships. They're both informal and um, formal throughout my career. So I have been a mentor to many either junior colleagues or even peers. Personally, I'm a caregiver by nature. So I've always showed an interest in working with my colleagues, my friends, my family to just listen to them and also help them improve either their skills or connect them to people or be a sounding board for them. This is something that I've always really done. It feels natural to me. It's not necessarily going up and signing up on a formal mentor program. Also, interestingly, if you may find this interesting, um, I am a yoga teacher. It's my quote-unquote side hustle. Through that, I've had a lot of experience with just listening to students, providing feedback. And surprisingly, uh, it was through my yoga teacher training that I learned the true value of how important it is to listen to someone and to be there for them. And when I say that, I mean like really there. We're often so bombarded with technology. And I think that this is something um, that the younger generation has, has grown up with. And so it's just part of who they are. But it sometimes distracts us from actually really listening. And that's when you're a mentor, you actually have to be a really good listener. And I think that people mistake being a mentor with somebody who has to give great advice. But sometimes being a really good listener can actually help both parties in the long run. That actually is a really different way of looking at at being a mentor. I don't often hear people talk about it in that respect that ability to be a good listener. And I think your point about technology maybe being an interference, I think really kind of the younger you are in our culture, the the longer or the more immersed you are in technology as as your primary communication tool. And uh, that can make being a listener a challenge. I know for me, if you listen really well, you're able to give very pointed advice. You don't have to just give five pages of advice. But it may just be one one word or a chance for that mentee to actually talk out and, and come to the conclusion on their own. And I know for me, like 99% of the time, I learn more from the people that I'm mentoring than, than they probably do for me. <laughs> I would completely <laughs> agree with that. And it's, you know, kind of just depending on the age of the person you're mentoring, it's just great to have such a, a different point of view. Uh, for things and helps you look at things differently. So tell me what you think um, one of your biggest obstacles has been, or or maybe there's been more than one, and what you did to overcome it. I wouldn't necessarily say it was an obstacle, but it definitely was a tough challenge for me. Um, Back in my career at Pfizer, I actually um, took on a position working with the Pfizer Global Health Fellows Program. So at Pfizer, they have um, this program. It's sort of a corporate Peace Corps that um, sends colleagues around the world to work with nonprofit organizations, helping them with either business skills or implementation of certain programs. And I actually was able to go to Tanzania and work uh, with WaterAid. And it was completely outside of my comfort zone. 
Um, WaterAid is a sanitation and NGO that works in around the world. That was a very, very big, I wouldn't say obstacle, but an extreme challenge for me to leave the comforts of um, the Western world and to go and live uh, for six months in an unknown country, working on a completely unknown topic area. But it was definitely one of the things that I think changed my not only outlook on life, but outlook on my career. You know, working under those types of conditions, it was severely under-resourced, and it was hot, and it wasn't my culture. I guess those are all obstacles that I was able to overcome, not without some pain, but um, certainly as I continued to do that um, assignment, it was six months, talking about um, some advice for folks that are early on in their career, it's taking those chances when you can. I was at a time in my life where I could travel, would be away from home for six months. I was ready for the for the challenge, but it certainly wasn't without worry, I'll tell you that much. So Tanzania, um, and then you, you've been other places globally too, where you've had some interesting adventures, I think. I actually took on an assignment to go and help out the Zoetis team in India. That was a three-month assignment where I was I, I worked with the team there to help them on some strategic planning and um, to understand a little bit more about a, a business opportunity. So mentoring the team there on processes and helping them figure out some challenges that they had was really interesting. So I lived in Mumbai, got to work very hands-on with the team and uh, learn a different culture. I attended I attended two or three Indian weddings, which was completely wow. outside of my normal everyday thing. Wow, what a great opportunity, though. That would have been yeah. awesome to see. Yeah, and I think that, you know, one of the things in terms of my career development that that assignment did was allowed me to actually... Getting back to, you know, being in headquarters in the ivory tower, going to this country and saying, hi, we're, I'm here to help. And then maybe not being so receptive of somebody coming in, like, who are you coming to help us? But what that did was actually prepare me to sort of say, okay, there's a way to work with different cultures. There's a way to learn as much as you possibly can. And again, going back to being a good listener. So with a lot of the things that I needed to do before I jumped into saying, you know, giving them an answer, we're always sometimes so quick to come in and say, hey, I'm from headquarters, I'm here to help, and this is what you should do. I had to really, really bite my tongue, and I learned this lesson while I was there, um, to just listen and sort of say, okay, you tell me what's going on here, and then we'll figure it out together. So that's one thing that I did in my assignment in India. That's really good advice for just no matter where you're at in your career or, or where you're living culturally or, or any situation. It's easy as you move kind of up the chain in what you know to feel like you can just step in and fix everything. And listening is a really good skill. We may not have enough time um, on this podcast to talk about the number of various issues and concerns that are going around, not only in the industry, but also the world. Most of that stuff is outside of my um, sphere of influence as it relates to my current work. One of the things that I'm really, really trying to work on and, and, and get more projects around 
is, you know, trying to figure out how we can continue to work on building a more sustainable and healthy food supply as we move into the time where world population is expanding, um, our resources are dwindling, and a lot of our customers and farmers out there are experiencing this firsthand with changing weather patterns and droughts and things like that. So I truly think that there's this sweet spot between uh, marrying the way they produce food here in America with all the different technologies and, and adapting this to fit with these farmers that are going to be um, helping to feed the growing population in the developing world. One thing that I did learn when I was working um, with that nonprofit living in Tanzania was that sometimes it's just a simple answer and a simple need. And that actual simple solution, it may not, again, be like the, the best technology that's being brought there, but it may have a bigger impact, you know, and be more sustainable moving forward. So I think that there's a lot of stuff that we could do with the various technologies that are around the, the world, whether it's being animal health or crop chemicals or seed production. I think that there's there's a way to actually bring that to the developing world that could help build this more sustainable uh, food supply and, and alleviate some um, food insecurity. Oh, I don't know if in your mind this is related, but I was just thinking back to what you had said about brucellosis and your work with GALDMED on zoonotic effect. So that idea, mm -hmm. and maybe for our audience, can you explain exactly what that means and how that might tie into what you are seeing globally? A zoonotic disease is something that actually is a, a disease in animals, but also um, has transmission to humans. This specific disease, you, rabies, for example, is a zoonotic disease. So that's something, a disease that people would be more familiar with. This particular uh, disease, brucellosis, also has a transmission from animal livestock, whether it's contact with the actual animal itself or eating contaminated meats. Working on these kinds of things, these types of projects that tackle zoonotic disease, there's this very unique or very, very close crossover between um, veterinary health and human health. If we can approach them by not only on the human side, but also on the animal side, you can have impacts on both. So brucellosis, for example, it affects productivity in animals and also has an impact on humans. So if we can get a vaccine that protects the animals and eliminates the disease, you're presenting a positive outcome for both the human population and the animal population. It's those kinds of projects and those kinds of initiatives that will really have an impact in the future. So you had mentioned that there is this phenomenal sum of money that was raised to kind of put this together in, in sort of a competition to see. Um, so what was the ultimate outcome of that competition? It so it's still going on, Sarah, okay. but um, right. yeah, it's a, it's a very long competition. So it's $30 million. Um, and if folks are interested, it's um, brucellosisvaccine.org is the website. Vaccine development, human and animal, takes a very long time. It's actually a 10-year competition. I'm no longer with the project. I've transitioned it back to the organization, but they have had three or four prizes, I believe, have been given out. Making progress. They are making progress, progress, for sure. Well, and it's still open, and they're still accepting applications, and it's a 10-year competition matching with the development timeline of a vaccine. Well, that's good news for all of us if they make 
mm-hmm. make progress on that front. When you've either stepped aside from your career or just in, in reflecting on you know how you believe you're, you're perceived from the folks who have worked alongside you, um, what do you think their perception is of you and, and what would you hope they'd say? Simply, I, I just want to be, you know, I would hope that they would say that I was a great connector of people and connecting not only people to people, but technology to people. And also that I was a good storyteller. I like that too. You are a good storyteller. <laughs> I would like to know more about what happened in India and Tanzania. Uh. Yes. Well, <laughs> another podcast. Another podcast. So my last question for you then is going to be, what's a question that no one asks you, but you've got a great answer you'd like to share? In reference to my days in Tanzania, um, where the the official language is Kiswahili, I've always wanted people to ask me, what is the Kiswahili word for goat? Because it was it's my favorite. <laughs> well, then I'll ask you, what is the Kiswahili word for goat? It is mbuzi. Wow, yeah. And, but Say that it's again. quite, yes. <laughs> How do I spell that phonetically? Yeah. M-B-U-Z-I. There's a funny story behind this. I have a slight obsession with goats. I was very, very obsessed with all of the animals that are seem to be all over the place in Tanzania, uh, mostly cows and goats on the roads. I had an intern that was helping with, helping me with my assignment, and he just thought it was the funniest thing that every time I saw a goat, I would I would squeal. <laughs> so I finally, you know, asked him, "Well, I want to know how to how to say that word in your local language." And so he taught it to me. That's how it came about. But it is the one word that has stuck with me for the last fifteen years. <laughs> And quite surprising that no one has ever asked me that question here in New York City. <laughs> He's Swahili word for a goat. That's good. That is good. I was yeah. not expecting that to be at all the question. So that's really good. It's a great high note to kind of wrap up on. So thank you, Amy, for just some great advice about, you know, making sure you take those difficult assignments. I think I think a lot of times we keep our, our head down or we're just, you know, not confident enough and I think that's Wonderful advice and and networking, of course. That's great advice for our audience. Is there anything that I might have missed that you'd like to talk about? I think you've covered it, Sarah. Um, the only other thing was around being a good listener, and that goes for you know customers and um, colleagues and mentors. That's wonderful advice. Thank you, Amy. And that wraps up this episode of Spark. And we hope everyone will join us uh, for our next episode. Thank you. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.